0: back to world changers today we're going to be talking about one of the most famous revolutionaries in the past century he liberated or rather united south africa and was willing to die for the cause today we're going to be talking about the life of nelson mandela Nelson Mandela was born July 18th, 1918. He was born in South Africa in a little village called Mivezo. And his dad was actually the chief of a tribe, um, the Tembu tribe. They spoke this language called Zosa. And I apologize in advance. uh, A lot of these African words are hard for me to pronounce. But yeah, so I guess you could say he was born into royalty, although it was a really small village. Um, his, uh, mom was one of, uh, he, she was the third of four wives, um, of his dad. And so she, this dad ended up having, um, a lot of kids from Nelson's mom. They had nine daughters and four sons. So I guess polygamy was cool. Um, his dad actually died in 1927. So Mandela was only nine years old. His birth name was actually Roli Halala. And, um, he, so his dad dies, which continues the trend. If you guys are a frequent listener, uh, it's all, it's more common than not that one of these world changers has a significant other, um, die in their childhood or youth. So he fits that category. Um, so he's just kind of in this small village, his dad dies. And then a, um, a neighboring kind of powerful man named Jonghitaba Dalindiebo. Um, He was his high-ranking regent, and he kind of takes him in. So he just kind of gets taken from his family and raised by this guy, pretty much adopted. And he starts training him to be a leader in the tribe. Um, And because he got adopted by this family, he has the opportunity, um, the first one in his family actually, to get some formal education and so he completes his primary studies at just a a local missionary school and while he was there is actually when the teacher um dubbed him nelson which was common practice uh for african students to like receive an english name it's kind of like how asians who come out to the west usually pick a name for themselves as well that's easier to pronounce um so yeah, he went to some middle schools, a Methodist secondary school, Clarkbury boarding. So he's getting his education. He's doing well. He's, it's said that he excelled in boxing and track and academics, which just looks like his life. He's a pretty normal, good guy, doing a good job. Uh, 1939, so I think he'd be like 19 or 20 at this point, um, he enters a pretty good school, the University of Fort Hare. And this was the only Western-style higher learning institute that blacks could attend. South African blacks could go to. So, pretty awesome that he has this opportunity. There's not a a lot um I mean, this is the only option he has, you know. And so he does well there. Um he ends up making a friend, a lifelong friend named Oliver Tambo. And and while he was there, he gets put in charge of this um like minority club council kind of thing, and they end up boycotting and they are trying to get equal rights um, because they don't have equal rights at the time. And, and so they wanted to go against some of the university policies and they end up getting expelled. So right away, young age, he's like, it's his first or second year in university and they boycott and he's already an activist standing up for what he believes in. He goes home and his stepfather and, and tribe are really upset that they had, you know, Put, sent him out to get this education. He's kind of let them down. The university said that if he would recant his statements and come back and be a part of that club, um, that they would let him back in. And from what I've found, he said no. Um, at the same time, his uh, stepfather, his, his legal guardian, I guess, um, has arranged a marriage for him, which at the time in their culture was his legal right to do. And Mandela didn't want to do it, so he just bounced. So he's like 21 years old, 2021, and he goes to Johannesburg. And he's working as a guard, a night watchman. Eventually, he starts working as a law clerk. um, And he actually completed his bachelor's degree from that university, Fort Hare, where he was expelled from, by correspondence. So I guess like online studies sort of (laughs) uh, equivalent. Um he started looking at law. He was studying a little bit of law at this university of Witwatersrand. Um but at the time he he started getting more involved into these political movements especially against racial discrimination. And he started, you know, kind of rising up in the ranks in 1944. So he'd be like 26 years old. He joins the African National Congress. And he's with his buddy Oliver Tambo. And, um, yeah, he becomes like a big part of this. Uh, What's funny is this is kind of parallel to, uh, some other revolutionaries that we've seen. I mean, Gandhi, as you'll see, has a lot of similarities with Mandela. He also went into law to try to figure out how he could change things, got into political movements, um, Stalin and Zidong Mao Zedong, they both, and even, um, even Karl Marx, uh they all got they saw imperfections in the government and they revolted to make changes and they were successful and they got in early and they were very passionate about it and um the difference between all these people is uh what they did after they achieved what they were trying to do um so he's part of this African American or African National Congress uh, the same year he meets his wife his first wife uh And he had four children with her. They divorced like 10 years later. He ended up having a couple wives, I think three. So he really commits to the ANC and the ANC starts growing stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, And 1948, the government introduces a formal system of racial classification and segregation called apartheid. You've probably heard the name apartheid. Apartheid literally means like separateness, like separation. And it restricted non-whites of basic rights, barred them from, you know, participating in government, and it maintained the white minority rule. And it's, I think it's pretty important. Um, I mean, so they did basic stuff. I mean, if you're from the United States, it's similar to what we did to African-Americans here where we segregated people. But, you know, they had benches. They couldn't sit on um, buses. Uh, You know, schools they couldn't go to. It just divided everyone up. Um, The biggest thing it probably did was it forced, um, it took all of the people out of their homelands and put them into these uh, designated areas for black people to live. And the unique thing that they did was they separated all of these black tribes from each other. And uh, in retrospect, people uh, say it's because they were trying to keep them from uniting, trying to keep the black as a minority, um, and so they put them in these little, I guess you could call them colonies. There was an actual word they had for them. I'll try to find it, but um, it also uh, it required them to uh, carry documents at all time when they were in restricted areas. It just kind of limited contact between races. Uh, like I said, separate public facilities, um, and the, the biggest thing was that they couldn't uh, they couldn't participate in government which is kind of unique because with the American revolution the americans were an, a, a huge minority and all they wanted was rep- representation in the the government right you can't tax us if we don't get a participate in you know what gets taxed and this one the whites actually have the minority and they're afraid of the blacks who have a vast majority of taking over if it's a democratic system then the blacks would control the government and so they separated them. They were called Bantustans, but ba- there were ten Bantu homelands, and they would separate the Black South Africans into these places. And um, so they wanted to unify. So it's pretty crazy. They pretty much weren't even citizens um, of South Africa. It was a, a terrible situation, and because these people got picked out of their homelands and dropped into these Benutistas ban- or whatever, these b- Bantustans, Bantustans they were really poor. So it just like screwed everyone up. It was a terrible decision. It just, it it really threw everyone back, you know. Everyone was living in poverty and hopelessness. And this is right at the time when Nelson Mandela is really kind of spearheading this political movement. And so uh, it just kind of lit the fire underneath them. And so they started to do sort of what... um Gandhi did, you know, like these peaceful protests and boycotts, uh, strikes, civil disobedience, other nonviolent methods. And they, all they wanted was full citizenship. They wanted to be citizens in the country they were living. And so in 1952, he did this campaign for the defiance of unjust laws. And they traveled across the country. They organized protests against discriminatory policies. And they, they did, were doing all these things. Um, in 1952, Mandela and Tambo, they Opened uh, a black firm, a black law firm that was like free or pretty much like really low costs legal counsel for, for people who were affected by apartheid legislation. In 1956, Mandela and over a hundred other activists were arrested and went on trial for treason. They ended up being acquitted like five years late, five or six years later. Um, but the tension started to escalate with the ANC, the African National Committee or Congress. And there was a militant faction that actually split off. So some people who wanted to get it done with force. And that was called the PAC, the Pan-African Congress. And so um, the next year, the, there was a protest, and the police opened fire on uh, these peaceful black protesters in this township called Sharpville, and they killed 69 people. And it just exploded. The riots and anger swept the country after the in the aftermath of this massacre and uh the apartheid government just banned the ANC and the PAC so both gone and they were forced to go underground and wear disguises to evade detection and at this point was when Mandela said no more passive resistance we have to do a more radical approach so that's where he kind of breaks off with Gandhi. Um, so they're underground. They're wearing fun stuff. I think when Nelson was arrested, uh, when caught, he was caught and arrested. Eventually, he was wearing like a laundry mat or like some work. He was wearing some funny costume when he got caught. Um, but so right after this happens, 1961, Mandela co-founds the Umkhonto we Sizwe, which means the Spear of the Nation, also known as the MK. So pretty much an armed wing of the ANC. Like, we're not going to take crap anymore. We're going to fight back. And um, eventually he's going to go to prison for a long time. And and later during his trial, he would say, quote, it would be wrong and unrealistic for African leaders to continue preaching peace and nonviolence at a time when the government met our peaceful demands with force. It was only when all else had failed, when all channels of peaceful protest had been barred to us, that the decision we made to embark on violent forms of political struggle. So he's saying like, you know, we tried everything. It'd be interesting to hear Gandhi's take on that, you know, cause obviously Gandhi never got to that point. Um, anyways, they start sabotaging stuff, right? That's kind of their main thing. They're not really like killing people or assassinating people. They're trying, I, I mean, Mandela wasn't trying to. They were mostly sabotaging, like, buildings and, like, lighting stuff on fire and stuff. And um, 1962, uh, Mandela, he leaves the country illegally to attend a conference and to visit Tomba, who's in London. He's also exiled. And right after he returns, he gets arrested and goes to prison for five years for leaving the country and for inciting a strike or whatever. So he's in prison, and the next year, the police raid a hideout, and they find... um all these people and how they were planning to do this sabotage. And they bring Mandela and some other people to trial for sabotage, treason, violent conspiracy, and other things. And um, the good news is that Mandela and these other defendants actually barely escaped getting killed. They were almost going to get the death sentence. Instead, they were sentenced to life imprisonment. And this trial went on. It lasted eight months. It was called the rivonia trial but it was like really famous it got international attention everyone knew about it and in his closing statements um he has his famous line where he said quote i've cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunities it is an ideal which i hope to live for and to achieve but if it needs be it is an ideal for which i am prepared to die so he goes to jail uh for what he believes is the rest of his life. So he ended up spending 27 years in jail, which is freaking crazy. That is an entire life. And missed his daughters growing up, missed everything, you know? The first 18 years, he was in this brutal island prison called Robin. And it used to be a leper colony. It's off the coast of Cape Town. And he was in a cell. He had no bed, no plumbing. And he had to do they were compelled to do hard labor in a lime quarry. It's like chipping rocks. I'm guessing like digging rock. And because he was a black political prisoner, he, his experience was even worse. He got uh, smaller rations and fewer privileges. He only got to see his wife. Uh, this is his second wife, Winnie, um, every six months. And they were routinely subjected to inhumane punishments for like the littlest of offenses. Um, one example, there were reports that the guards would bury the inmates in the ground up to their necks and then urinate on them so just like a terrible experience and it's not like he's there for a year or two years or three years in this terrible prison he was there for eighteen years in the remaining nine years he got switched, but while he was there, he actually earned a law degree from the University of London, so they had like a program where you could learn it obviously um through in the prison in in the prison cell um he also would like help his prisoners out, encouraging them to seek better treatment through nonviolent resistance, and like he would mentor them. He smuggled out some political statements, a draft of his autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom, um, and he started to get more fame outside of the jail. Outside of jail, his buddy Oliver Tambo introduced this Free Nelson Mandela campaign, and it just like made his he became a household name. Everyone was talking about it, and. So, the, all this pressure was mounting on the government to release him, and they said, Okay, let's do it. We will release you, but we want you to do these things in return. Uh, one of them was um, to recognize those Bantustans, those like separate uh, villages where only black people lived, uh, to like accept those and recognize them. And he just said no, which I think is a really cool moment in his life. I mean, he's been in jail for 20 years or something and they say you can be free just say you were wrong or say we were right and he just won't which i think is really telling of his character um like i said he moved to this other prison pullsmore prison on the mainland it was a little bit better um he ended up being on house arrest with minimal security so it was like pretty good and um 1983, a new president gets elected and he's like, guys, let's make South Africa non-racist. And so a couple years later he orders Nelson's release um, 1990. So Nelson gets his Mandela and I'm sorry, Nelson Mandela gets his freedom and then he uh, this president also allowed the ANC to come back, right? So lift the ban on the ANC. So the ANC's back, Nelson Mandela gets released he's part of the ANC starts negotiating with his president to end apartheid and to establish a multiracial government. And so they end apartheid. Um, He ends up getting the Nobel Peace Prize in 93 for doing that. In 94, um, more than 22 million South Africans turned out to cast ballots in the very first multiracial parliamentary elections in the country's history. And the overwhelming majority chose ANC to lead the country and on May 10th, N- Mandela was sw- sworn in as the first black president. And with that white president who released him was his first deputy. So, like pretty good kind of, you know, setup. And so then he starts doing all these great things. He starts investigating human rights and political violations from like the sixties till now. He introduced social and economic programs to help like improve living standards. Um, he presided over like a new South African constitution Um, he tried to get rid of, uh, public discrimination against minorities, including whites. Now, this is the coolest part about him is it seems like a lot of people, they say, man, I've been persecuted against, I want to get power so I can persecute the people who persecuted me, you know, and you can't blame them for, for feeling that way. And here's Mandela. Who's had a life of persecution, a life stolen from him. You could even say. And he finally gets power, and now he's in control. And he could, have just, he could have easily done apartheid with the whites or kicked them out of the country or taken their homes. He could have done a lot of terrible things, and he didn't. In fact, not only did he not do terrible things, he tried to do great things for them. He tried to bring everyone together and to set up rules where they couldn't be discriminated against. Now, South Africa right now, 2019, is not doing great after you know years have gone by still a problem but in mandela's life i think that's another cool moment in his life when he chooses to be strong so anyways he's improving these racial um relations and he uh they talk about there's that movie with matt damon with the world cup that that was south africa hosted the world cup in 95 and so like they tried to get everyone the whole country to like you know support the team and yeah so the rest of his life is pretty dandy um in on his 80th birthday, he got his third wife who was a, for, she was the widow of a former president of Mozambique. So, um, I guess he never had a super stable marriage. You know, he got three wives, he ends up uh, retiring from politics. Uh, I mean, he's, he's getting pretty old. Um, he, you know, he does some stuff for like AIDS awareness cause his son died of AIDS in 2001. He gets prostate cancer um he gets kind of weak so he's like stepping back kind of not going in the public anymore um 2009 the united nations uh declared july 18th nelson Mandela international day and so he's done a great job and then 2013 just six years ago um nelson Mandela dies from a recurring lung infection so that's pretty much his life let's jump in and go over some fun quotes I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Live life as though nobody is watching, and express yourself as though everyone is listening. One of the most difficult things is not to change society, but to change yourself. As we are liberated from our own fear our presence automatically liberates others. Difficulties break some men, but make others. No axe is sharp enough to cut the soul of a sinner who keeps on trying, one armed with the hope that he will rise even in the end. Everyone can rise above their circumstances and achieve success if they are dedicated to and passionate about what they do. A winner is a dreamer who never gives up. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. To be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Don't judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's head pointed towards the sun, one's feet moving forward. There were many dark moments when my faith in humanity was sorely tested, but I would not and could not give myself up to despair. That way lays defeat and death. If you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy. Then he becomes your partner. It always seems impossible until it is done. All right, let's move on and go over some fun facts. So we talked about his birth name being Roli Halala, uh, which means pulling the branch of a tree or troublemaker, which is kind of funny that the, his name was kind of troublemaker. Uh, he's There's a woodpecker, woodpecker named after him, kind of funny. There's also streets named after him like everywhere. Um, we talked about how he married a first lady. Um, he was a master of disguise. Uh, he said I became a creature of the night I would keep to my hideout during the day and re- would emerge to do my work when it became dark kind of fun he uh, he loved boxing he said I did not like the violence of boxing I was more interested in the science of it how you move your body to protect yourself how you use a plan to attack and retreat and how you pace yourself through a fight kind of fun he's uh whined and he's been wined and dined by world leaders all over. But his favorite dish is tripe. Yeah, a stomach lining of farm animals. Still, he loved eating it. Pretty gross. Uh, He was on the U.S. terror watch list until 2008 at the age of 89. That's when he finally, I guess, wasn't a threat anymore. (laughs) Um, While he was in prison, he would read uh, William Ernest Henley's poem called Invictus to the Fellow, fellow Prisoners. It's about never giving up. And um, he loved the lines I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul, which is pretty cool. Okay, well, that's enough. Let's just kind of summarize why we think he's on this list. It's really fun to see how similar he is to other people that are on this list. And I mean, you get Mandela juxtaposed Gandhi, juxtaposed Stalin, and you have similar beginnings, Um, tough childhoods in a land that is run or by, is not being run effectively. And they want to make change for the good of people. It's kind of like all of their origin story. And then how they do it. Um, some people do it, uh, Stalin killed a lot of people. Like right when he got into power, he killed everyone, even on his own team. Right. Gandhi, they were literally getting burned alive themselves. You know, they were getting beat up, attacked by dogs. They were, he was fasting. It was all about him getting hurt. And then Mandela's a little bit in the middle, you know, he, he starts off with Gandhi and then he starts pushing back a little bit. And then kind of comes full circle and goes back to the gandhi situation but i think what he did is obviously amazing getting the nobel peace prize um uniting this country i think race is such a hard thing for this world to get over um and he worked with that he dealt with it and in a way he succeeded you know i mean his legacy like i said things have changed through corrupt leaders and stuff like that. But in his life, what he did was amazing. I think the fact that he went to jail for so long kind of separates him from anyone else on this list. But his resoluteness, his his courage to stick to what he knew was true regardless um, of what it took, even if it was 27 years in prison, even if it was his life, even if it was 10 more years in prison like when they asked him to go I think it just says a lot about his life but uh, yeah I think easily he's one of the greatest uh, people who've ever lived and that's why we have him on this list as a world changer well thanks for listening guys thanks for uh, all the emails and the recommendations um, if you have any corrections ideas thoughts feel free to email us at worldchangerspod p-o-d at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, get back to you. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.